Jesus were sitting here, he would say, why don't you go first and I'll wait. So the older brother said, okay, uh, why don't you be Jesus? <laughs> we'll do it that way. So. <laughs> Anyways, I wonder even before we start on this study, how did you ladies do with worry and anxiety this past week? I can't give you a test, <clears throat> but I pray that you have experienced the peace of God that surpasses comprehension and that you have fought and put to death your flesh to think on the things that are true this last week, I hope. But what a contrast from last week to this week. What a change. Uh, all that joy and love you can feel with Paul in the Philippians, right? And then this letter, uh, there were some disunity issues in Philippi, but that was nothing compared to what's happening in Galatia. Um, what was at stake here in the book, in this book, in this letter, is the spiritual freedom for every single believer. That's why it's so important. This letter is critical for us to grasp because it's about getting the gospel message right. In Paul's day and ever since, the same false teaching that he was dealing with has corrupted the message of the gospel through all the centuries. Men have in, had infiltrated the church there in Galatia, and we're teaching that salvation certainly came by faith in Jesus. You have to trust him. He is the Jewish Messiah. Plus, you really need to observe the Mosaic Law. So the plus that they said certainly changed throughout the years, whatever the plus is, the error is still the same. You fill in the blank. Yes, Jesus, you must trust him plus. And that's the error that Paul is dealing with. When a church or a denomination teaches that justification that is being made right with God is in any way and shape or form by something you do and not by faith alone, then they are distorting the gospel and the harsh words that Paul had to say are applied to them. False teachers are nothing new and they were to be expected. Jesus warned about them. But what was so disturbing to Paul about all of this that it was happening so quickly to them. They had abandoned the true gospel message to start listening to this error. It's likely only a church of a few years old since Paul had been there on his missionary journey and <clears throat> proclaiming the gospel. And now, in just a short time, they're forsaking the gospel of grace and putting themselves back into bondage under Jewish ceremonial laws to somehow, you know, make God's favor possible for them. Paul is shocked. He's angry. He's disturbed by all of this. These were spiritual children that he loved, that he prayed for continually. How could they be so easily and quickly uh, taken from truth about God's grace that he had presented to them? He is infuriated with these false teachers as well because they brought such harm to the church by the things that they were teaching. So this is the most severe and harsh letter in the New Testament. And why was Paul so upset? Because he was fighting for the truth of the gospel. Listen, ladies, countless men and women have given their lives for this message and been put to death because of, they stood up for it. So these Jewish men proclaim that salvation is by faith in Christ, but also you need to be circumcised. And had this message taken root and spread, then Christianity would have been lost. It would have been another form of Jew. So this letter is critical for all to realize the importance of the true gospel message. It was a letter that was sparked the Reformation 
at a time when people were buried in hopelessness of trying to keep rules and regulations, and if you were poor, you were in big trouble because you didn't have money to pay yourself to heaven. And that's the kind of world that was existed in Christianity when the Reformation began. And this book is what was used to spark the whole Reformation. You may think because you already know the truth of the gospel message by grace through faith alone that it isn't particularly relevant to you. However, it is a critical book because it reminds us of everything Christ has done. And it also reminds us that Christianity is not about how we perform. It's about the grace of God. And a lot of us, you know, believe it's the grace of God that saves us, but then we think we have to have a performance level to be loved by him. One theologian explains it this way, that because in reality, we're all former Pharisees, thinking we are good or we can please God in some way on our own. And he put it this way, there is a way out of Phariseeism. The way out is called the gospel. It is the good news that Jesus Christ has already done everything necessary for our salvation. And if we trust him, he will make us right with God by giving us the free gift of his grace. When we reject our own righteousness, to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we become former Pharisees. <clears throat> Most find it hard to leave their legalism behind. Most Christians are still in recovery. And although we may have been saved by grace, we do not always know how to live by grace. The gospel then is something received to us in a time past, but is something we need to live and breathe. Galatians is written for people like us. So, every other letter Paul wrote to the church, you know, it always starts out with something he's thankful for, or some condemnation, uh, a common commendation about them that they're doing well in. But not here. Paul just dives into the truth, really, of defending the fact that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because these false teachers, in luring the people away to the error they were teaching, also tried to destroy Paul's credibility. As if he wasn't ever one of the twelve. He just came along later, and after all, he's talking to the Gentiles, so he kind of tweaked it to fit them. But we're telling you how it really is. And that's what Paul was having to deal with as he started this letter. They attacked the authority of his apostleship. So he opens the letter by defending his apostleship. We read, Paul, an apostle not sent from men through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So, Paul is authorized by Christ. He, the term apostle remain, uh, re, <clears throat> excuse me, means an official messenger, uh, an authorized representative that speaks with authority for God. We know that Jesus chose the 12 to be his apostles, that they were given power to perform miracles, to verify that they represented Christ and he had given them that authority. We know there was also James, from 19 of this chapter, who was called an apostle, and Barnabas from Acts 14. <clears throat> Paul makes it clear that he was an apostle, but it was no group of men who gathered around and laid hands on him and appointed him to be so. His apostleship had nothing to do with any man. Rather, he was chosen by Jesus and the Father who had raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul has seen then the risen Christ, just as the other apostles had seen. The revelation given to Paul from Christ has not been, as I said, learned from any other guy. Uh, he, he didn't seek their help for clarification of the gospel message. Paul rather spent three years in Arabia before ever going to Jerusalem and meeting only Peter and 
James at that point for just a brief time. So the message of grace was the message Christ revealed directly to Paul. Therefore, the words that Paul wrote in his letters are just as much the words of God as if Jesus were saying that. You know, inspired scripture is God-breathed. It's his words coming, and he used his apostles as the authoritative letters that they wrote. And this is so important, ladies, because I'll tell you, there are many today who pick and choose what they're going to obey about what Paul said. Because, after all, Paul shared his opinions, and they're just his opinions. Well, his opinions aren't just his opinions. He is speaking for God. His words are authority. So you can't pick and choose what you're going to agree or disagree with Paul about marriage, what he taught, about divorce, or about women not being allowed to usurp authority and be pastors or teach men. It, it can't be any clearer than it is in Scripture. So it is God's word. And all of Paul's words are authoritative because he spoke for God. Paul then mentions that all the brethren who are with me, he says, and we're not told who they were, but Paul makes it clear that there were other believers who recognized and affirmed that he was an apostle. Then Paul says, to the churches of Galatia. It's easy to read this and just figure that's the end of his brief intro. But it really is an important phrase because it's critical to see that the apostles spoke to the church, not on behalf of the church. Therefore, their words carry the weight of absolute biblical authority, and the church is simply to receive and believe and obey what was said. Some denominations teach that it was the church that wrote the Bible, and so the church then has the authority to change things up and change the Bible as the years go by. But this is simply not true. The apostles were apostles of Christ. They were not the apostles of the church. And they spoke with absolute authority for God to the church. Paul then defends the message of salvation by grace alone. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. With no words of, hey, hear great things about you. No, he just jumps in. <laughs> At least Paul wants them to have grace and peace from the Lord. Uh, that's how he left it with them anyways. This is the way the, he greeted other believers. So it appears he had... Uh, not given up on them, the fact that they actually already had grace and peace from God should have been clear to them that they already had salvation. Grace is God's undeserved favor, his kindness in forgiving sinners who put their trust in him. And peace is the result of being right with God. And it is these two important truths that some of them were turning away from. If you start to believe that salvation is based on a personal performance or something you need to do, then you are no longer a believer in the gospel of grace. There certainly is no peace because you know what? You never know if you did enough. Because when it comes back to what you're doing, you might have just missed it. So Paul sums up the works of Jesus in this next powerful, powerful verse. Great verse to memorize. Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Notice, this present evil age. So we see in this verse the heart of the gospel that they had already received. How truly precious is this truth. Notice Jesus willingly went to the cross. He gave himself up as an act of love and self-sacrifice. He gave himself, why? For our sins. Jesus was a sin offering. 
He took our place on the cross. He died as a payment for our sins. And the full fury and wrath and holy hatred that God has towards sin was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus was completely abandoned at that moment from the Father. And he died for sinners. But what did the death of Jesus actually accomplish? Jesus makes it possible the forgiveness of our sins for all who put their trust in him alone. So we know we're forgiven and have a future with him in heaven. But notice he did all this so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. I, this has really struck me this week thinking about that, that the death of Christ is just how it affects us right now, not just in our future when we die. Mm -hmm. He died to rescue or deliver us from this evil age. Those who trust Christ as their savior are set free from the bondage of sin that dominates every unbeliever in this world. And you all know unbelievers who are miserable. They're caught up in their anger, their unforgiveness, their vindictive spirits, their fear, their hopelessness. This rescue, as I said, isn't about the future, but it's about our deliverance in this wicked world because we live in a satanically controlled world system where people are consumed with self and all of their self-centered passions. And we all are victimized many times because of that. But the gospel sets us free from sin controlling us. The moment you come to faith and trust in Christ for salvation, he sets you free from being controlled by your sin. Of course, we will always struggle with sin as long as we are in this fallen world and in this fleshly body until we reach heaven. But we no longer have to sin. We choose to sin. We don't have to. The new nature God put in us, the moment we trust him for salvation, gives us the power to say no to sin. In other words, in Christ we have a new kind of life and a new quality of life. That's amazing. As Paul wrote to the Romans, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be made powerless so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. We don't, we're not enslaved by our own sins and fears. Paul is telling these Galatians that the gospel of grace set them free from sin and the bondage of trying to keep the law, which this was impossible. No one is ever free when they think they have to do something to earn being right with God. And ladies, in light of the truth of this verse, do you live in a way that shows you have been set free from this present evil age? If you live in constant disobedience and follow only the self-centered desires of your heart, then you have never been rescued from your own sins. There is no one who doesn't still struggle with sin, but now as a believer you hate your sin and you do live differently than the world. You have different values. Not only has Jesus given himself for our sins and rescued us from this present evil age, but all of this was done he says, according to the will of our God and Father. Here Paul clearly states that our salvation takes place not because we willed it to happen. We were so smart to get it. No, we don't will it to happen. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. How incredible to realize the great mercy of God because we all deserve his judgment for our sins but he's rescued all who believe. Our salvation is his work, therefore he is the one to get all the glory and all the praise. No human has anything to boast about. 
Then Paul states his motive for preaching the gospel, to whom be glory forevermore, amen. This is closing out his brief opening, and he offers praise to God. Paul's motives have nothing to do with pleasing people. Obviously, we'll see that by the things he says coming up here. His focus is preaching Christ, making clear the mercy and love of Christ. And whenever you add human works of any kind and believe salvation is dependent on that, then you have a false gospel. Salvation is by grace through faith and has nothing to do with anything anyone does. So the danger of the gospel being abandoned is addressed in verses 6 through 9. And Paul here is shocked, astonished, amazed, flabbergasted, pick whatever word you have. When he heard, news reached him about what was going on at the Galatians. He had a righteous anger when he writes this letter. And it's abrupt, it's sharp, it's critical, it's politically incorrect. There is uh, not one good thing he has to say to the Galatians. They are in danger of abandoning the pure, true message of salvation by faith alone. And Paul uses very harsh language when he addresses the Judaizers who demanded that these believers had to keep the law to be saved. He actually pronounces God's judgment on them. It's pretty severe, which we'll see in a moment. So Paul says in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He can hardly fathom what they are actually doing. To abandon the message of grace is to abandon God himself. <clears throat> this has nothing to do with Paul personally. Uh, like, I brought you this message. It has nothing to do with him. When a person embraces the belief that they have to do something to be a part of the process of salvation, they are in reality deserting God, the God of the Bible. Certainly not the God they've created in their own mind, but the God of the Bible. The word deserting means to transfer one's allegiance. It was a word used in the Greek to talk about a soldier who deserted his army and went and joined an enemy army. Paul is clearly accusing the Galatians of becoming spiritual traitors. Why would they even listen to the message that these false teachers were bringing them? contradicting faith alone. <clears throat> it was God himself that they were deserting and rejecting the one who had called them to salvation. Understand this point by Paul. When a person who has professed faith in Christ alone leaves a Bible-believing church that proclaims that reality to go to a different type of church within Christendom, that teaches salvation is necessary to do certain works, or they join a cult, and that always stresses human works to have favor with God. In reality, they have rejected God himself. They have defected from the one true God and committed treason. Now, what were the Galatians and all who do the very same thing today deserting Christ for? And Paul says, a different gospel. Paul will go on to explain that there really is no other gospel, but than the one that they had received. But his point is to say that these men were presenting to them this truth, this message, as if it were the gospel. And it wasn't. We have to realize that back at that time, as well as today, error is always mixed in with much truth and very hard to detect. You could listen to some false teachers many, many times and never pick up the error that they purport, you know, do, but you have to really listen and discern. 
So they had claimed to represent the apostles, these men who came, and we'll see them more next week. However, they were not sent by James or any other apostle. They obviously sounded believable because they probably said the same things that Paul had said. And it was very believable. Jesus was the Messiah. He died for their sins. But then they said that Paul had failed to make certain matters clear that they needed to bring to light. Believing in Jesus was, was important and it was the right thing, but they could improve their spiritual life by observing the ceremonial laws like circumcision. In other words, they now needed to finish their faith by living obediently to the law. Satan is the liar of all liars. From the beginning, he's a liar, and he is so cunning, and he is always the one behind false teaching, false doctrine. And as it's been said before many times, if he could stand in the presence of God and convince a third of the angelic host in front of God's throne to, to rebel with him, he is one convincing, deceptive being. So ladies, these are, there are countless believers today who have little discernment in being able to tell the true gospel, whether it's being proclaimed accurately or not, and, or false gospel is being preached um, and promotes human effort or some way that you can have a happy life in the world. You know, the Galatians were, the, were only in the process of defecting from grace to law. It was not yet an accomplished fact. They were believers and had not yet been carried, carried away and finished this desertion. Therefore, there was hope. But what a serious warning to them and to all of us because we know truth. But don't think that you're above them, that you could not be swept into air. And as I said, there are countless Christians today who listen to preaching ministry on the radio and on TV. They listen to men and women who deny the gospel. And they think they're listening to a godly teacher. There is no gospel message presented by so many. The sin is completely ignored. You know what? You don't need Christ to save you from your sin if you don't even realize that your sin is separating you from a holy God. And it is omitted. We don't want to offend everybody. It's just a self-esteem problem that you have. <laughs> Yet believers listen to such smiling, persuasive pastors. They go to the Christian bookstore that is loaded with the error and buy their books and read them. And many other believers are also deceived when they are told to embrace all who are under the umbrella of Christendom. Let's just have an ecumenical love fest and we're all together. But you know what? These are not one with us who proclaim a different gospel. Men and women have died, given their life for the, the sake of the gospel message. You can't join in arm in arm with those who distort it. And so many people today find a church to go to that just tells them to how to have better technique for a marriage that works better or greater success in your personal life at your job or how to deal with the stress in your family life. But the gospel is never taught or presented or proclaimed. And such churches and pastors and followers are not believers. And why is that? Paul says because they distort the gospel, which is really not another. Only they, some who are disturbing you uh, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul makes it clear that what they are being taught by these men who would come in is not another gospel. Because there's only one gospel message. Salvation by faith in Christ alone. But these men... Uh, may have called their message the gospel, but it was false. And it was destroying and disturbing believers that were there. These men uh, tried to shake up the very foundation of what these believers 
I believe, when Paul taught them the truth. And they also made Paul a suspicious character to them. The word distort means to, re to reverse something, to turn something into just its opposite. So whenever teaching declares that there is human effort required to be right with God, it reverses the character of the grace of God in his favor shown to us in Christ. So Paul is trying to make them see there's no other gospel message than the one he preached to them when he came to them. To prove his point, Paul goes on to present a very strange sounding situation, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what has been preached to you, he is to be accursed, damned to hell. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying that even if he returned to them on another trip, or a holy angel came from directly from heaven and said anything contrary to what was first said to them when the message of the gospel is proclaimed, they would, are to be accursed. So he takes a hypothetical statement and then applies it to what was actually happening in Galatia. These Judaizers who were preaching to them that they had to keep the law are damned by God. They are accursed, it means anathema, set apart by God or destruction. Those who preach this error uh, will be damned to hell by God himself and all those they're taking with them. Their eternal punishment will be even more severe. I pray that each of you understands the real cost that Jesus paid in dying for sinners. If salvation could ever in any way have anything to do with what anyone did or could do, then he really came in vain and suffered all that. I mean, if there was a way to get there and be right with him, then Jesus came in vain. So please don't be deceived, ladies, by such error. It is everywhere in Christendom. It is on the Christian radio, TV, bookstore. It's everywhere. Paul then defends the origin of the gospel. In verses 11 through 24, really, the rest of the chapter is about uh, making clear that the message Paul taught to them was from God. He uses this chapter, really, the rest of it, as an autobiographical sketch to prove that it would have been impossible for Paul to have ever gotten this message from anybody but God himself. So before he gets into that, he makes it very clear in verse 10 that he was not a man pleaser. Oh, I think he already made that clear in the verse before. He had just told them that these teachers were going to hell, damned by God. That's not exactly man pleasing kind of talk. Uh, before his conversion, Paul had tried to please man. He knew all about that because he was a former Pharisee. This had driven him to persecute Christians. Paul had spent his life trying to please people and get the approval of people and approval of the God he thought he, he worshipped. But that all changed when he came to Christ. The moment of his conversion, he became a slave to Jesus and was committing to, committed to obeying everything Jesus told him to do and believe. <clears throat> it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we have to please people, isn't it? What do we do? Why do we do what we do? We want their approval. And if that becomes a focus, we will compromise in speaking the truth because we cannot live our lives expecting to be liked by all when you tell people their spiritual condition. When you tell Christians where they're off, gone off the road of biblical obedience. So people will be angry for this narrow message that we believe. 
Slander and persecution is likely, likely the result, but it is to Christ that we will give an account one day, not to these people. Our fear should never be of what people think, but rather of what God thinks of what I'm doing. So Paul wants the Galatians to understand that the message he gave to them was by divine revelation. And the rest of the chapter is just proving that the gospel didn't come from any man to him. The message of the gospel is not man's good news about God, but rather God's good news for man, as one writer put it. <clears throat> any distortion then of the gospel exalts man and his goodness. So Paul explains that the gospel he preaches did not come from him because somebody witnessed to him or he took a class or, you know, we talked about that last week. There's no human agent involved. Paul received the gospel through direct revelation, and this was true of every uh, apostle. So the way God speaks to people today is through this divine revelation we call scripture. Beware of those who claim that God is speaking directly to them apart from scripture. Before Paul's conversion, he says, I was a persecutor of the church, I was a committed Pharisee, I wanted to kill Christians, I wanted to kill the whole movement. <clears throat> there was no more zealous of a man than Paul. Only God could break through the heart of this man <laughs> with the message of the gospel and save him. And if he could save Paul, then ladies, we have reason to take heart, to continue to earnestly pray for people we love, who we know do not know Christ. God took someone a zealous, he took a radical man who was radical against Christ and made him a preacher of grace. Paul wasn't looking for Christ. He was looking to kill anyone who named the name of Christ. But God reached down and called him to faith in Christ. And then the life of Paul after his conversion, Paul sought no advice or clarification. He went, uh, after his eyesight was restored, he went to Arabia for three years. We learn in Acts 9 that before he left, for Arabia, he went into the synagogues and preached Jesus in Damascus. <clears throat> and then he was gone for three years. In his three-year period, he was in some type of desert place, a period of withdrawal, where he was instructed by Jesus, just as the other 12 apostles had been. He returned then to Damascus and preached again the gospel of grace. And then he finally went up to Jerusalem and met just Peter and James for a brief visit. So there was no time for Paul to ever be instructed by any man before he started sharing the gospel of grace. He gave the same gospel as the other apostles. He ministered faithfully for many years in obscurity, ladies, before he ever went into the ministry and mission work. Countless believers have died for the integrity of this message. So the question really is, have you embraced this message yourself, or are you discerning to recognize Churches and preachers who distort the true message of the gospel, lady. It is serious. We have to get it right. There is so much error being taught in the name of Christ. As I said, well-known men and women who once, and this is becoming more and more common, men and women who have been respected Bible teachers, Bible study leaders, who have taught scripture more and more now claim that they have additional truth that's being given to them outside of scripture and they're writing books and publishing them because Jesus is speaking to them new revelation of truth and they are out there under the umbrella of the sound evangelical and people are buying it hook, line, and sinker. We must be vigilant to listen with discernment and not be led astray like the church of Galatia. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this really critical letter. And even though this was what was going on thousands of years ago in a, in a church uh, that we know nothing of, this same error, Lord, has always been. And it's been perpetuated, and it just takes new twists and turns and new avenues of distortion and distraction and confusion. Lord, I pray for every woman here that they would truly know you, know that salvation is by grace alone. And Lord, I pray that those of us who do know you would realize that it is living by grace alone, that we would keep preaching the gospel to ourselves, that your love is unconditional, that we can't earn favor with you by performing at a certain level. Lord, I pray that we would learn from Paul's letter and apply it to our lives. Lord, help each of us to discern truth and error. In Jesus' name.